Welcome to the Arrangers Podcast. I'm Aaron Hedenstrom. And I'm Drew Zaremba. The Arrangers Podcast is dedicated to the insightful discussion of music arranging and composition. What we do takes a lot of hard work and resources. We are asking for support from listeners like you to continue to make this podcast available for everybody. Please consider contributing a monthly donation to our Patreon platform. We sincerely appreciate any contributions you are able to give. You can also follow us on Facebook and Instagram or leave a review on iTunes. Be sure to send us your questions and feedback to thearrangerspodcast at gmail.com and find out more at www.thearrangerspodcast.com. Let's dive in. In May of 2019, we attended the International Society of Jazz Composers and Arrangers, or ISJAC, symposium in Greeley, Colorado, and had the opportunity to interview many of the world's leading composers and arrangers. For those of you who don't know, ISJAC is a fantastic organization that unites jazz composers and arrangers together to promote new works, share research and knowledge, and bond together in community. We had the distinct pleasure of interviewing Darcy James Argue, who is no doubt one of the most unique young composers in the jazz world today. Uh, If you're familiar with his work, you will know that his influences range far beyond simply jazz and into the worlds of Mm -hmm. minimalism, rock, classical, and a lot of different you know, unique sources that I think come together in a very interesting and compelling way. Yes, he's gained a lot of popularity in recent years, uh, particularly after he started his own big band, the Darcy James Argue Secret Society. Um, And they've released uh, three albums, Infernal Machines, uh, Brooklyn Babylon, and Real Enemies, which earned him a a Grammy nomination. He's also... uh, you should know that he's studied under Bob Brookmeyer for a long period of time and has won many awards, including a Guggenheim Fellowship in Music Composition and a Doris Duke Artist Award. Um, is currently based in New York City and is traveling around the world uh, performing his visionary music with big bands literally all across the globe. I remember when his work first became uh, popular on the scene with his first album, Infernal Machines, and I remember listening to it a lot and being very, you know, inspired by the, just by the unique perspective on big band music and big band writing. So it was uh, an honor to talk to him, and without further ado, let's listen to what he has to say. My name is Drew Zaremba, and this is the Arrangers Podcast, and we are here on the last day of the International Society of Jazz Composers and Arrangers uh, Symposium here in Greeley, Colorado, and I have the great pleasure of uh, sitting across from uh, a world-renowned composer, uh, and uh, arranger, and musician, analyst, uh, conductor, extraordinaire, Mr. Darcy James Argue. Thank you for joining us. Hello. Yeah. Um, so th- we're just going to have a couple shorter questions. Uh, you can take as long as you want to answer them. They're meant to be very open-ended. So Insert uh, drubbing fingers together, <laughs> Mr. Burns-style emoji. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Um, so... Uh, just for uh, our listeners, some of our listeners who might uh, not be as familiar with your work um, and uh, not as familiar with you as a person, maybe you could tell us about two or three things, um, milestones, if you will, that really made a big difference in your jazz career, 
and education, in your composing career in education, I should say. Sure. So I think a lot of it comes down to, you know, we've all had these formative experiences of like just gigs we have been to, and it's usually a gig rather than a, a record right. that, that transforms things. Sometimes it's a record, but like the power of, of seeing someone live is, is uh, really, uh, it, can, it can literally change your life. And so I, um, when I was in high school, uh, there was a band coming through uh, Vancouver, uh, British Columbia, where I'm from, and it was a, a group uh, led by the Canadian pianist Jeff Johnson, and they had a special guest uh, with his trio, is Kenny Wheeler. Uh-huh. And uh, my high school band director, uh, Mr. Bob Rebliati, who was actually also Rini Rosnes's high school band director, we went to the same high school wow. in North Vancouver. No school. kidding. Yeah. Uh, so he took us all to uh, this, this long defunct Vancouver club uh, called The Glass Slipper. And uh, we got to see, you know, just be in the room with Kenny Wheeler and just that sound coming out of his yes. instrument. And I, I was a failed trumpet player. I, I, um, I gave it up. I played it uh, one year in my high school jazz band. And oh, then as soon as the piano chair opened up, it's like, I want, I want this. <laughs> <laughs> Don't have to uh, press this to my face anymore yeah, and pray yeah. for the kind of... And, and so just hearing what um, Kenny, what was coming out of his horn as improviser and his compositions and everything, that changed my life and um so i actually went to study with jeff johnson the piano player who brought right and he taught um at mcgill university Mm. in montreal and um that's of course you know like most uh uh people you don't really start writing big band charts until you get to college and you have to yeah that's right uh but that's uh that, that's when I, I sort of, you know, got my copy of Inside the Score and got my copy... As many of us have. ...of, uh, of the uh, Mosaic Thad Jones Mel Lewis box set, uh, which came out, like, around that time. And that was really the, the mother load, and that was really exciting. Mm. And then I got to see at uh, the, the late lamented IAJE conference uh, in Boston... Certainly. Uh, I got to see Bob Brookmeyer uh, leading... Uh, a European radio band. My my recollection tells me that it was the Danish radio band. Sure. I can't be one hundred percent certain of that. He did a ton of work with yeah, him. It's he very did. Likely. Uh, but uh, I think I actually checked with some of the guys in the Danish radio band, and I don't think they were there that year. So oh. I think all my life I, I thought it was Danish radio band, and it might be a different band. I I don't know if there's like you need a wayback machine. This is before the internet archives, but <laughs> it was Bob Brookmeyer. They were there. He was with a great uh, European orchestra and. And they played um, uh, St. Louis Blues. A and, classic. Yeah, and and that was like it, you know I had heard it on the on the recording, but mm. hearing it just played live, it, it's it becomes something completely different. And that that intro, the composed intro yes, that, yes, yes, that yes, Bob yes. wrote for for St. Louis Blues is is I one of. Uh, you know, it's like it's you can't really have favorites, but it's my favorite. I oh, love, I love absolutely! It. I love it so much. Absolutely, it's one of the greatest things that that I think Bob ever uh, wrote, and I just I really treasured that. And then, mm. that, what um, year was that? Then that was a so this would have been nineteen ninety four. Ninety four. Yeah, okay. I was still like a, a freshman at, at uh, McGill, and uh, the McGill Jazz Orchestra was playing at that IAG conference, right. and so I, I managed to like hitch a ride with them down to to Boston. Excellent. Uh, and 
Yeah, I, there, that was a, uh, it was a great time. It was the first time I heard um, Brad Meldow. He was just a new uh, pianist with Josh Redman's band. And wow. uh, the record wasn't out yet. Right. right. So it was, you know, oh, man. Uh, all of these, all of these seeds that, that come up later in life. Um, so I, I, uh, after graduating from McGill, I was in Montreal for a few years. And then uh, I, I started corresponding with Bob because I started teaching his music for the arranging class that I was teaching in Montreal. Right. And uh, one thing led to another. And then he invited me to come study with him uh, at New England Conservatory. And so that's not an invitation you turn down. Certainly not. <laughs> Uh, and that was really incredible. And uh, at this um, ISJAP conference, uh, uh, Bob has been very present here uh, right. in Dave Ravello's uh, yes. talk about uh, the book that he is working on, about Bob's um, compositional uh, strategies mm -hmm. and his, uh, his teaching strategies, uh, which are really influential. And, uh, you know, all of the, the stuff that Dave was talking about in his presentation about the white note exercise and yeah. the chromatic exercises. Did you have to do all those? Oh, yeah, absolutely. of course, yes. of course, it makes perfect sense. And uh, and hearing it, you know, from from Bob, it, 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 he uh, he really devoted himself to education in a way that is mm. very rare for a jazz composer of his stature and, right. and you know his uh, um, experience. Yes, to really take um, education uh, as seriously as he took composing. Right. And, and improvising. And uh, I think what what is sort of remarkable is that he, he didn't rely on anything stock. He tried to figure out, well, what is it that the young composers coming to me, like what, what do they need to, how do I kind of reset their palette a little bit? Because you come mm. in, usually if you're coming in, you know, as I was as a master's student, you know, right. you, you have some chops, hopefully you yes. know how to voice a shout chorus and a sax solo and all yes. that kind of stuff. And then, you know, then you have to write uh, 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 melodies, like uh, 64 bar or longer melodies using right. just the white notes on the piano from middle C to the C above. And uh, you very quickly begin <laughs> to realize, you know, where your limitations really are right. as, as a composer, especially when he tells you, well, you can't rely on, you know, uh, two bar and four bar, like, and consequent yes. phrases. You've got to get into a flow with it. And that's, you know, it's very, very um, challenging. And you really get learn to develop a, an emotional relationship to uh, all of those eight pitches that you're allowed mm, to use. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. That's fantastic. That's that's a real beautiful description of your early journey into how you set the building blocks for the 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 renowned composer and conductor you are today. So thank you for that. That's fantastic. Um, coming around to uh, you've been involved in a number of the clinics and. Uh, uh, commentaries on compositions, new works uh, over the last couple days. Um, on that note, what are what is a good trend and a bad trend, in your opinion, of course, that you see in young composers or just composing at large in 2019 or the, in in this last wow. several years? Um, so. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do the politician thing, and I'm gonna reframe your question a little bit. Do and, please and put it back uh, at you. Uh, I will say that um, 
it is it's really exciting to see uh, how well developed everyone's craft is and it seems like with the resources that are are now available um, that that people are getting a really good grounding in the the fundamentals of orchestration mm. and and voicing and um, like there you know there's a real uh, strong representation everyone has has got like they know how to use the instrument of the big band and they know what it's capable of and uh, everything is is you know pretty well conceived and and balanced and and you know we're not dealing with uh, uh, um, struggles with the, the the craft so much uh-huh. but I think we are dealing a little bit with um, an underemphasis on um, the basic building blocks of music, particularly mm. counterpoint and voice leading mm. and, um, and, and uh, pacing and transitions wow. and, and storytelling. And so I think, you know, uh, kind of taking a step back from the, uh, the, the nuts and bolts of just learning to, to write for 13, 14 horns and, and rhythm uh-huh. and, and taking sort of one step back further from that and, and thinking more about well, what is it to compose? What is it to write a song? Right. What is it to write a melody? What is it to write counterpoint? Yes. And I think those, those issues are, it's easy to um, neglect them as you are developing the craft of composition uh, or, or as you are developing the craft of arranging. But like this is about the, the craft of, of composition, of, of melody and development and, and mm. harmony and counterpoint and all that kind of stuff. And I mean, the other thing is like harmony is a lie. <laughs> you know, a, I can't not let you uh, espouse on that for just a moment. Sure. Uh, I, I think I know what you're getting at, but go right. ahead and let us let me hear you out. Well, it it, it is uh, a, a maybe a lie isn't the right word. Well, no, polite it's, fiction. It's, <laughs> it's very. Uh, I, I love the provocative way you sure. said it, though. So. Uh, but Let's just say it's a lie. Sure. <laughs> there's, I mean, but there's really no such thing as harmony. There's only counterpoint. Wow. What it is is voices, you know, moving horizontally in time uh, against each other, and then like you know, you you sort of take a a, a freeze frame of a particular moment in time uh, and analyze that as a voicing, and you analyze that uh, as 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 a chord, as a piece of harmony. Uh-huh. And for analytical purposes, that's great, but that's right. not actually how it works. It's all counterpoint. It's like observing a wild animal in a zoo first in its natural habitat. Yeah, it's, or you know, you you're you're looking at a single frame of a film. Is it how I I like better. to think of it? Of like you you have you know like you know, you're trying to capture uh, an image of motion, right? Mm. And so, but what the film does is it carves it all up into discrete moments. Right. But there is no you know there there's no like 24 fps in life. It's just continuous motion. Oh, right. Uh, and so that it's very. Um, uh, difficult to to grasp that when you're like looking at you know a, a Maria chart or a McNeely oh, chart yes. and you're looking at it like man that voicing is so cool I'm going to use that voicing and then 
you know, you sort of miss the context yeah. and the voice leading that sets that up and makes that uh, effective as a moment in time. And it's good to to do that. It's good to take the freeze frame and analyze mm -hmm. that. Of course. But it's also really important to understand how it was arrived at and, and how it flowed from that. My uh, orchestration teacher at NEC was also a, a huge influence on me was um, uh, a man named Lee Hyla. And mm. he's a wonderful composer. And uh, all of the uh, Brookmeyer students also took his orchestration class. And uh. one of the, the exercises that he gave uh, was pick your favorite moment in music ever. <laughs> <laughs> and oh then explain uh, how that moment was arrived at for like the two minutes leading up to that moment. And uh, because it was an orchestration class, it was done through the lens of orchestration. Certainly. But you could do that certainly through the lens of, of harmony and counterpoint and voice leading. And uh, rhythm. Or, and, or rhythm yeah. or texture or dynamics. You know, yes. you could look at that through any number of different lenses. That's beautiful. Music is animation. It's it's moving. It's always, that's, that's what it, that's beautiful. That's beautiful. Do you think, coming back to the question real quick, does, so then the students who, or, or young composers, whatever, um, do you think it's because they're not hearing it in their mind? Because they, because if you have craft, there has to be something that they're hearing, but because they're not really hearing melodies in their head, is this because of a lack of, what well, if you were to diagnose it? Now, for example, the lack of listening, a lack of experience. I th I think it it comes, it comes with experience and maturity, but I think it's also something that is under discussed mm. in the way we teach jazz and the way we teach yes. uh, arranging and yes. composing, because it's much easier to. Uh, show yes. someone the voicing. It's much easier to say, like, here is this upper structure voicing. Uh -huh. You've got the trumpets in an apparent triad, and then you've got the guide tones and the trombones and the bass trombone on the root, and like that is sort of very clear and and unambiguous. Right. Uh, but it is it is much more difficult to talk about, um, particularly in jazz voicing, because it's not the same as you know, Palestrina, obviously, or yeah. Bach or, or Mozart, you know, the, the, the rules of, of uh, Western voice leading mm -hmm. apply in a kind of an oblique way, you know. Right, yes. But they're still, they're worth learning and they're worth considering, particularly when it comes to types of motion and the power of contrary motion and the power of oblique motion as opposed to similar and parallel motion. And mm -hmm. I think like that is something that I try to emphasize a lot. Yes, with, of course. Uh, with my students, uh, like my theory students at the New School, because very frequently they have these progressions that are full of parallel motion, like parallel octaves between bass and the melody, yep. or similar motion. And mm -hmm. uh, it really, you know, uh, that is okay in limited doses. Yeah. <laughs> Great for mariachi music. <laughs> well, you know, it, 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 it's, it, it is, you know, it's an effect. Yes. And, uh, and sometimes you want that effect and sometimes, mm. you know, that is, is what you need. But there is, there are uh, circumstances that, that call for the classic 
uh, independence of melody and bass and moving in opposite directions and contrary motion. And if you look at like, you know, the opening of Kenny Wheeler's Sweet Time Suite and the motion of the right. very sax against the soprano sax, almost mm. entirely contrary motion. And so wow. if you were writing a beautiful chorale like that, you know, that's that's your model. That's where you've got to go. And that and it, it's really very independent of style and genre and uh, I mean you know contrary motion is great in mariachi too it it, it, it is one of those sort of like the fundamental forces of, of music if like if you want the melody to feel like it is independent of the harmony then the way to do that is through either oblique motion or contrary motion right that's that's brilliant I look forward to a much longer conversation mm -hmm. about this um, we're going to wrap it up with one quick question and that is um, Little, it's very out of left field, by the way, just so you know. Um, our listeners uh, all have so much respect for people like you who are at the top of the field and really enjoying your music. Um, and and people, people who are famous often become deified a little bit. And there's nothing wrong with this. But it's also nice to know that we're all human sometimes. And so something that we've been asking people to share if they're comfortable is something outside of music that they do for fun or just to get away from music, a hobby or something that we might not know about you that is that you want to share. Sure. So uh, I will I will happily tell you this that um, I have um, for the first time since high school um, gotten involved as an adult uh, in Dungeons and Dragons. Yes. <laughs> and, um, Fantastic. We have, we have a, a group, uh, my girlfriend and I uh, play with a, a few other couples, and we started a few years ago, and uh, it's incredibly, um, it's so fun, and it's it's so, um, it's so great to have an outlet, like a creative outlet and an improvisational outlet. Yes, yes. This is all about improvisation that is away from, from music, and so... Um, despite my kind of insane schedule, one of the things that, that I decided that I wanted to start doing, and I, I, I started this um, late last year, is to actually run a campaign as a dungeon master. Wow, that's, that's a lot of work. It is an enormous amount of work. <laughs> And, uh, you know, so uh, when I'm not thinking about music, I'm usually thinking about this this campaign that I'm running, like, in the, the tropics of Chult that is modeled a little bit after the Haitian Revolution. And wow, that's deep. Yeah, you know, like, the, there's, the, there's a little bit of being able to bring in historical context and kind of, mm. you know, uh, bring... Uh, a really intense situation for the players, and it's uh, it's it's really it's super exciting to be able to, um, as uh, you know, as a dungeon master, your your players are going to throw all kinds of curves at you, and you yes, have to react. You have to react. And, uh, you have to uh, 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 bullshit confidently. <laughs> it's it's you're really being the composer of the of the thing and, and but it's it but it, you're composing in real times in in some cases yeah, so. you, you do your preparation of like course. you would do as an improviser and you kind of figure everything out and then you know it's sort of like oh the bass player decides to start playing flat nines on all your major seventh chords Love like, it. all right well what do you do now what do you do <laughs> now we can work with that yeah uh, Darcy, this has been uh, short but sweet, and we look forward to uh, the time to speak with you again. But thank you for sharing your time with us. Thanks, Drew. Yeah, appreciate it. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Arrangers Podcast. 
If you enjoyed what you just heard, you can support us directly with a small donation on Patreon or by sharing this episode with a friend. You can hear lots of other interviews, score studies, and fun discussions at www.thearrangerspodcast.com or wherever you find podcasts. Bye for now and keep writing.